welcome everyone to the New Faith Podcast. Today, we're privileged to have with us Nona Jones. Nona Jones is a remarkable individual, holding the position of Chief Content and Partnerships Officer for YouVersion, the number one Bible app in the world. She leads a global team, contributing significantly to the platform's success. Previously, she held the esteemed role of Head of Global Faith Partnerships at Meta. Beyond her corporate engagements, Nona is deeply involved in various boards, actively participating in the governance of both Christianity Today and Glue. Nona Jones is also a vi- the visionary behind Nona Jones Ministries, an organization dedicated to her public teaching and preaching ministry. Her passion for spreading the message of faith takes her across the globe, engaging in preaching endeavors worldwide. Moreover, Nona actively works alongside her husband, jointly leading the Open Door Church community in Gainesville, Florida. In addition to her extensive contributions to the world of faith, Nona is an accomplished author with three books to her credit. These books, titled Killing Comparison, Success from the Inside Out, and From Social Media to Social Ministry, have garnered international acclaim and serve as a guide to digital discipleship for churches seeking to make a meaningful impact in the digital age. Nona, it is an honor to have you today, but let's get right into it. So could you share a little more about your role at YouVersion? Sure. So um, I have the great joy of leading the content and partnerships team. And for anyone who is familiar with um, the Bible app, YouVersion is essentially the, the parent company of the Bible app. We actually have a family of apps, um, uh, but my team is responsible for a number of things, um, predominantly the experience that you have when you open the app. So all the Bible plans, the the daily refresh, um, uh, everything from the, the translations of the Bible that are available in the app, um, the 64 languages that the app is translated into, uh, my team is responsible for. And so um, we really, really just are so honored to get to serve the kingdom of God um, by getting to do what we do. And uh, yeah, it's it's truly a joy. So you currently have been a lot of stuff, a preacher, author, <laughs> entrepreneur, and more. But how did you reach this point and what got you started in your faith? Well, uh, I'll, I'll start with your second question, because I think that's um, the best bridge, which is how did I get started with my faith? I did not grow up in a Christian home, um, did not know anything about church, God, Jesus, Bible, any of that. Um, mm-hmm. But when I was in the sixth grade, a classmate invited me to go to church with them. And I just assumed we were going to go over their house, maybe play a game called church or something. I didn't really know, but um, uh, her mom picked me up from my house and we went to their church. And I remember um, just, just when I walked through the doors, you know, I just, I felt immediately like I was wanted, like I, I belonged. People were so kind and just uh, really welcoming to me. And that was actually a uh, really stark contrast to the life I had been living up to that point. I had a really challenging childhood. Um, I, I'm an only child, but grew up in a home with um, some abuse and neglect and all types of things that were happening. And so because of that, I acted out in school. I got into a lot of trouble. And so I, I say that because when I walked into the church and people were so welcoming, it just felt it just felt like home. And the very first sermon I ever heard 
the pastor was preaching out of what I now know is Psalm 68. And he said, God is a father to the fatherless. Well, I had lost my father um, shortly before my second birthday. And so when I heard him say that, it, it kind of like piqued my interest. Like, well, if God is a father to the fatherless and I'm fatherless, like who is God? And so um, that started me on my journey. Um, I was about 11 years, old, 11 years old at the time, starting on my journey to learning about the things of God and, and starting to read the Bible and asking questions about faith and spirituality and who is Jesus. And um, I accepted Jesus as Lord of my life at 12 years old and uh, just my life radically changed. I got really involved with church, with youth group. I was singing in the choir. Uh, got to the point where I was like leading youth Bible studies at the age of 17. I was licensed into ministry, um, started preaching at you know youth conferences and things like that. And uh, when I got married, um, my husband and I, I knew that we would go into ministry because his father had started a church um, in the mid 70s, mid 1970s. And so I knew we'd be in ministry, but I had no idea, Jonathan, that I would be doing what I'm doing now. And that just goes to show the divine providence of God. Um, I think if I had my um, original plan, I would have been an oncologist. I was planning to go to medical school, um, but there was some divine intervention there. Ended up uh, changing my major from microbiology and cell science to journalism. Got involved in communications and um, from there got into corporate leadership. Um, and it's been just such an incredible journey when I look back over my life and I see how the hand of God orchestrated and redirected me in, in places and ways that I could not have imagined, but man, I'm so grateful for it. So that's kind of how that's the convoluted way uh, of how I got to where I am today. And I think to your question of, you know, how I am doing so many different things, it's truly just a testament to, to God, you know, his grace and his mercy. Um, even though I'm a published author, I never pursued a book deal. Um, my publisher came to me out of the blue and was like, Hey, do you have a manuscript you want us to read? And so I just so happened to have had one. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that that's how that happened. Um, I ended up, you know, working at Meta for many years. I got a call out of the blue there. Uh, that was a job that was just created and, and kind of offered to me. And then with you version, you know, I, I'd been at Meta for about almost six years. And I think the average tenure with the company is less than two. And so I I just felt like, you know, I really want to take everything I've learned, everything I've done and bring it to the kingdom of God in a very explicit way. Um, so started talking with the CEO about that, that desire that God placed in my heart. And, and now I'm on the team and it's, uh, it's been just an incredible six months now that I've been able to, uh, to, to really see how the way I think of it is like meta feels like it was a paid internship for what I'm doing at Uversion, really. <laughs> Well, the work you do is absolutely inspiring for, <laughs> and is extremely fascinating. Thank but you. let's get to the idea of Christian nationalism and evangelicalism as a whole. Mm -hmm. As a preacher, what is your reaction to the word evangelical today? And do you still call yourself one? So here's what's interesting. You know, for so many years, I would say probably for gosh, 35, 36 years of my life, um, I never really heard the term evangelical, never thought of myself as evangelical, even though I am by definition. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of being evangelical is just someone who um, is, is committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ um, and really has a posture of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Um, so I have been evangelical, but, but you know, that, that term did not raise to my level of consciousness until I think the, um, kind of politicization, politicization of the Mm -hmm. term where it was kind of like, uh, there was a voting block that was called evangelical and the descriptor of this voting block was pretty racially monogamous, pretty, um, um, politically, um, pure. And, um, so it, it's, it's interesting because I politically, you know, I've, I've always been an independent. I've, I've voted on both sides of the aisle. I've really looked to see, you know, who's the person that I believe has the character and the vision, um, that most aligns with me. And, uh, it's never been any one political party. I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> um, political parties are a derivative of individuals desire for power. And that's, that's not, uh, it's not because people have a desire to, you know, serve God and build his kingdom. Uh, politics is really about building man's kingdom, not God's kingdom. And so I've always really been politically amorphous. As a matter of fact, uh, the work I was doing prior to joining Meta, um, part of that was stewarding the political and legislative strategy for a nonprofit organization. And while doing that work, I had to be very ideologically neutral because, you know, we needed support from both sides of the aisle. And so I think it was easy for me because I've never been one who pegged my religion to a political ideology. Um, And I think the idea that evangelical is somehow reserved for one political party is is problematic because Mm -hmm. the, the term itself it's really just about a posture of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Speaking of politics, what role do you think Christians should play in politics? That's a really good question. You know, there are some people, and, and, and here's the thing, there are some people who believe that in order to be a good Christian, you have to be involved in politics. There are others who believe that in order to be a good Christian, you have to not be involved in politics. Um, I really think it's a it's a personal choice. I, I do. I, I think it's a personal choice, but that personal choice should be absolutely informed by the Word of God and and the full counsel of the Word of God, right? And so, um, for me, you know, I I do vote. I believe in being civically engaged, um, but at the same time, I do not idolize. I do not um, esteem political ideology above the, the, the Bible. You know, I don't, and I think what tends to happen, what I've seen happen is um, if we're not careful, we can shape the Bible around our ideology instead of shaping our ideology around the Bible. And we have to be really, really careful because it's a slippery slope. Um, I've heard it said before, and I think it's true that we don't tend to see the Bible as it is we tend to see the Bible as we are, and we have to be really careful uh, about that. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's a personal choice. But everything we do needs to be guided by what the Word of God says um, about us. Sorry about that. Just a bit of dog in the background. Okay, I have a dog over here too. <laughs> <laughs> so, according to uh, the Public Religion Research Institute. Nearly two-thirds of white evangelicals are either sympathizers or adherents to Christian nationalism. However, only around 40% of African-American evangelicals sympathize or adhere to Christian nationalism. 
why do you think Christian nationalism is on the rise? And what does it mean for America? Oh, this is a good question. Um, you know, what's interesting. I, I always, I always get a bit concerned whenever Christian is used as an adjective and not as a noun, right? So it's like Christian becomes the modifier for something. It's like, oh, it's, it's Christian nationalism. It's almost like this is, you know, Christian skating, or this is like, this is Christian um, uh, cuisine. I, I get concerned because, in fact, um, any time we use Christian as a label to modify something, I think we lose the essence of what it means to be a Christian because to be a Christian is not, it's not an adjective, it's a noun. So I, I say that for the start. Um, I think the reason why it's on the rise to my, in my personal opinion is just because I think that there's a, um, there's a lack of, of Bible reading um, in, in a lot of people who are professing a faith that if you actually read the Bible, um, you'll realize, you know, what what that what nationalism is, what it requires, is antithetical <laughs> to scripture. Um, John 3:16 says very clearly that for for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Um, it, it doesn't say for God so loved uh North America, for God so loved Africa, for God so loved Australia, Europe, you know, it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we have to be really careful that we don't somehow conflate the idea that one country is special to God over another country. Because what happens is if we believe that, and, and I do believe that is a trick of the enemy, if we believe that, then we can become callous to the pain and the suffering of people in other parts of the world, because it's like, well, you're suffering because you're not part of the chosen country, right? Um, and that's just not God's way. And so I, I do think that that uh, Christian nationalism, it, it feels like it's on the rise because there's, uh, one, there's there's a lack of, of Bible reading. But I think, I think, two, it goes back to what I said earlier. It's sometimes we, we bring our agenda to the Bible and we want the Bible to submit to our agenda instead of submitting our agenda to the Bible. Um, and so I've, I've, I've heard a number of, you know, politicians kind of invoke uh, the word of God in order to uh, give credence to their political ambitions. And that's very, very dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. I think we have to always ask ourselves, is this thing that I, I want to do, is this thing that I believe is right? Um, is it going to lift up the name of Jesus and draw all men to him? Or is it going to lift me up and make me the, the star that people follow? So those are just some random thoughts, but uh, I, I think that's why it's on the rise. It's just when, when you don't know the word of God for yourself, you can be um, subject to other people's interpretations. Mm. Your insights are really great. <laughs> so you've interacted and preached to tens of thousands of Christians. And have you seen Christian nationalism suddenly come on to rise or have you seen it gradually rising? So I will say, um, 
I have been very, very fortunate to preach in all types of environments, very diverse environments, some environments that are super conservative, some environments that are like really liberal, some environments that you just, you know, it's all over the, the board. I have not personally um, had to grapple with any issues of Christian nationalism, but I will say I did one time, I had a church, um, they were inviting me to speak at a conference and I have a team that vets everything and handles everything for me. Uh, so I don't even usually find out about those uh, discussions, but this one particular time, my, uh, my CFO came to me and he was like, you know, we've been negotiating this uh, agreement with this church and they've been asking about your political affiliation. And I was like, really? I said, why? <laughs> and he said, well, apparently somebody on their team researched you online and uh, they said they found an article that said you were a Democrat um, and they were concerned about that. And I said, well, first of all, I don't even know who made the article. I said, I've been a registered independent for as long as I can remember. I said, but the fact that they are even concerned about that kind of makes me concerned, right? It's like, man, are they vetting uh, speakers based on political ideology or is it based on um, you know, um, adherence to the word of God, because here's the thing, both, this is, this is where I think we, we sometimes miss it. Both major political parties, um, are, are striated. Like they have, they have variations, right? So you have Republicans who are pro-choice and you have Democrats who are pro-life. And so if we're not careful, <laughs> we will assume that because a person is a certain political affiliation that they agree with us when in fact they could be a political affiliation and completely disagree with you on issues that you assume are settled. Um, and so I, I say that simply because although I haven't had to deal with Christian nationalism, the fact that even having to experience a church that was like, oh, well, we saw this information on the internet, therefore we don't know if we want to actually invite you. It, it, it gave me pause to think, wow, are we are we evaluating people based on how they vote or are we evaluating people based on who they follow those are two very different things yeah so there's been a recently a new movement that's been rising in the christian nationalism scene according to the new yorker around a fifth of respondents who wanted the government to declare the united states as a christian nation they also describe themselves as being secular. This seems like Christianity is moving towards something more like Jewish in an ancestral identity rather than some faith. How is this affecting Christianity as a whole? And how is it changing people's outlook on Christianity? Yeah, Jonathan, this is the million dollar question and issue um, where I do I do, uh, I won't say I worry, but I do have a concern that um, people's understanding of what it means to be Christian has has become a bit diluted um, to the point where you're right. Uh, there are people who identify, they identify as Christian, but if you were to actually ask them, um, you know, hey, do you subscribe to these core tenets of the Christian faith? Uh, the answer is no. And so um, that is a concern. And, and I, I think that it also lends itself to the question you asked earlier around why Christian nationalism may be on the rise is because when you when you don't either know and or subscribe to um, 
the word of God. And, and let me be clear. I mean, the full counsel of the word of God, because there are people who will say, oh yeah, I believe the Bible because they're kind of picking and choosing different parts. So I mean, the full counsel of the word of God. Um, when, when you don't do that, and then we're also seeing uh, people who, you know, they're not attending church, they're not in a, a, a Christian fellowship. I think you can get to a place where people are conflating uh, their kind of patriotism and their allegiance to a country with um, being uh, subjected to the lordship of Jesus. So, yeah, I do think that that is an interesting question. This idea of cultural Christianity um, has been discussed in many different circles. And I do think that is something that uh, that we're kind of witnessing even now. Um, I liken it a bit to the church at Corinth. Um, you know, I, I, I've been reading about uh, the church at Corinth, studying the church of Corinth for a while because I was just noticing a lot of similarities in the way that, um, you know, I would say the, the, the Christian faith tends to be expressed in the West and the way that, and some of the issues that the, the church at Corinth was grappling with, things like, you know, factions within the church. You know, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Uh, things like um, excluding people based on their socioeconomic status. Like, you know, the wealthy people, they get the preferred seating. Uh, you know, if, if somebody was poor, they'd get pushed to the back. Um, you're, you're kind of seeing some of those things. And so I do think that there's going to need to be a return to righteousness, a return to holiness, uh, and a return to what it really means to, to follow Jesus. So what is the proper Christian response to the rise of Christian nationalism then? You know, I think the, the proper Christian response, I think in any situation is to remember the words of Jesus. And he was very clear about the greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. And so I think if and when we find ourselves grappling with a question of, is this right or is this wrong? Um, the, the answer lies in one of those two pillars. It's like, okay, um, is this demonstrating our love for God? And if the answer is yes, for example, like let's just say, yes, we're going to make, we're going to make America a Christian nation because we love God. All right. Check that box. If that's, if that's the motivation, then the second question becomes, is this loving your neighbor as yourself? Right? So for example, if, if your neighbor was the majority and let's say that they were Hindu and uh, they were like, we're gonna make this a Hindu nation would you feel that was loving to you as a Christian? And if the answer to that is no, then it doesn't check that second box. And we have to ask ourselves, what do we need to do differently to love our neighbor as ourselves? Um, I think that we've, we've lost that. I think we've lost that. And the thing about loving your neighbor as yourself is not compromising the gospel. It's not you know, saying that, uh, you know, there are many ways to heaven and all that, like, you don't, you don't have to do that. I do think loving your neighbor as yourself is simply saying, is what I'm choosing to do something that I would appreciate someone doing to me? Um, I have found that people are much more receptive to the gospel. This is going back to your question about uh, being evangelical. People are much more receptive to the gospel that is delivered out of a heart 
that has first demonstrated love to them. Um, when we demonstrate hate and vitriol and bitterness and exclusivity and marginalization, there is nobody who is clamoring for that gospel. And so I would say that we simply have to do what Jesus said, love God, love our neighbor. So the only real solution to Christian nationalism is to essentially teach better or teach the right theology that emphasizes the humility and grace of the Lord. Essentially. Absolutely. I think it's teaching. It's both teaching it and living it. Um, Because there's, there's a lot of teaching happening. Like there's a whole lot of teaching happening, happening. I think we have to live it out. We have to live it out. Mm -hmm. We have to be committed to being living epistles um, where we're not simply just imbibing all this information about the Bible and about Jesus, but we're actually committed to living it out when it's hard, when, when it, when it costs us that that's the thing that I think gets lost, um, is, is I've noticed that, uh, people are willing to do something as long as it doesn't cost them anything, but the model of Jesus is sacrificial to the death. So it's like, what are we willing to give up um, in order to ensure that when people encounter us, they encounter Jesus, they encounter sacrificial love. Um, that's, the, that's I think, part of the solution. Final question. Is there anything you'd like to share with teenagers and young adults who might be listening to this podcast? Yeah, I would just say, you know, be encouraged. Um, I think that no matter how hard things seem, no matter how impossible things seem, God is God of the impossible. You know, it's, it's moments like this. It's times like, like these when, um, God is able to prove his power. You know, I, I reflect on, uh, you know, Jesus's death and burial, right? How I can imagine, um, the religious leaders, they were just like, yes, we did it. We won. He's gone but they didn't realize that they were actually part of the plan. <laughs> they didn't realize that, um, that their crucifying Jesus was actually setting the stage for his resurrection, victory over sin and death. And so I encourage um, everyone who's watching this to not lose heart and to know that your voice matters. Um, follow Jesus, follow the word of God and be committed to being the change that you wish to see in the world. Um, I have so much faith in this generation and uh, I'm just excited to see what you all, what you all accomplish through Jesus. Nona, thank you very much. 